All right, welcome back to another episode of the Speak Truth Sports podcast. Uh, I am Bert, and I'm joined by Trey, as always. And uh, this week, we got a lot of NBA and NFL news to report. Uh, if you are into listening to weekly sports news and getting the roundup of the week and just discussing it, uh, if you're into that type of content, you're at the right place. Please like, subscribe, share, turn on the bell, do all that good stuff on you if you're listening on YouTube. If you're listening on any type of podcasting app, uh, please feel free to uh like us and uh, just share us in general and leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, that would just really help us grow and it would help us uh, deliver a better, a better product to you guys in general. Uh, you know, but before we get into it, uh, Trey, you did want to bring something up, didn't you? Yeah, on last week's uh, podcast, when I was talking on Dak Prescott, I think I accidentally said uh, his record as a Cowboy was 42 and 7. That is definitely incorrect. He's 42 and 27 as a starter. Dallas Cowboys I just want to get that out there I don't want anyone to think that you know this man is dropping straight dimes and winning so much he was a good quarterback but he wasn't great like that so I just want to please clarify that all right and with that let's just jump right into it uh we're gonna kick it off with the NFL we just had a big trade like as of today as of this morning uh, as of when we're recording this uh so Carson Wentz is now an Indianapolis Colt I believe he was traded for a third round pick and a conditional second round pick that if Wentz plays 70% of the snaps at quarterback and he makes the playoffs, it turns into a first round pick. Or if he just plays 70, 75% of the snaps in general, it will turn into a first round pick. Uh, what do you think about this trade, man? I mean, this was a big win for Carson Wentz. This is a big win for the Colts. Um, you know, the Colts, how I always thought of it, they were always a quarterback away from being a contender. Um, that defense is elite. So, you know, on the offensive side, they also had pieces such as Michael Pittman Jr., T.Y. Hilton, if they do end up re-signing him, of, re-signing him, of course. Uh, Jack Doyle, Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines. Like, the offense was much better than the Eagles, so Wentz going to the Colts is a good thing for him. And just being back with Frank Wright, I think that's also a big thing for him because when he had his MVP-like season – his quarterback coach was Frank Reich. Um, so, you know, during that season he had, uh, I think he broke the franchise record for the Eagles with 33 passing touchdowns. He didn't even finish the season because he had a knee injury as well. Um, he had his highest QBR, I think it was 78.5, which was the highest in his career at the time. Um, you know, and also another interesting thing I didn't notice until today, I was looking into this, um, the Colts wide receiver coach, Mike Groh, he was Wentz's offensive coordinator when Frank Reich left. So he also has ties with Wentz. Um, so this is like a, a big, 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 big win for Wentz, I think. Uh, I think he's honestly the biggest winner of the whole thing of it all because, you know, he's finally getting a chance to compete again. I mean, we've been talking about this ever since our second like podcast ever. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying he, he was headed, he had an untradeable contract. Uh, and I mean, this is just proving more and more that there's no contract that is untradeable straight up. Uh, Carson Wentz, you know, I think this is a great move for him. Uh, if there's any team that he's going to revitalize his career on, it's going to be the Colts. Uh, the Colts are just the perfect situation for Carson Wentz right now. Like you said, he has all those connections in uh, on the Colts already. And they just have great wide receivers. Uh, or they have very good wide receivers. And the running back game is pretty – it's no, it's no joke. 
And their offensive line is like top five in the league, in my opinion. So he's going into a very good situation. The Eagles also got a pretty good deal out of him, but you know, they did definitely overhype his trade value. They said they wanted like a Matthew Stafford type deal. Like, man, like after the season, Wentz just put up, like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get that type of deal. And they settled for a conditional second and a third. So, you know, yeah, I just, I just think this is a fantastic move for the Colts. And I know some people aren't liking this move for the Colts. A lot of people are really, really down on Carson Wentz, but you know, let's be real. He only had one down year so far. And that was just this past year. Like it could just have been a down year. He could bounce back. We don't know, but I am, I'd bet on him to bounce back in my opinion. Yeah. My thing with the Eagles is, um, Trading his contract did hurt them financially. I think it was a 33 million uh, hit to their dead cap, and which is the biggest in NFL history by 10 million. I, I saw. Um, I mean, I guess it's good for them that they are moving on from Wentz. Um, you know, I, with this trade, I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of happy it went down the way it did. I'm glad it wasn't. He didn't get traded for a first rounder. I feel like it kind of helped reset the market and kind of make people realize like, oh, a lot of these quarterbacks shouldn't be going for first rounders or a lot of like certain players shouldn't go for first first rounders such as Wentz after this past season. So I'm kind of glad that they did negotiate that, uh, that contingency within the conditional second rounder because Wentz is injury prone. That is something we have to keep in mind. He didn't deal with a lot of injuries uh, starting his career. Um, so I feel like the Colts got a fair deal. Uh, I feel like the Eagles got a quite fair deal, but um, if you're an Eagles fan, this is kind of worrisome future wise um, you know, reports already are saying that the Eagles are looking to bring in, looking to bring in competition for uh, Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position. And um, with Howie Roseman at the helm, you just never know what's up the sleeve. Um, I also gave initial mock drafts, and a lot of them initially had the Eagles taking receiver. But now with the Trist trade, and just in the past few days, I've been seeing a lot of reports saying that the Eagles could could potentially jump for a quarterback in this draft. And that is kind of worrisome. Um, I think they should focus more on building up Hurts more so than breaking him down. They need to build around him, put talent around him. And uh, drafting a receiver with the sixth pick would be the best move, in my opinion, for them to um, really help out Hurts. If they want to bring in competition, I think it's not like a trade for Marcus Mariota or sign a quarterback from Bridgency like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. But I would not, if I was the Eagles, I would not draft another quarterback, especially with the sixth pick. Yeah, that's just so I, – I, I laughed when I read that report because I just felt bad for the Eagles fans. If they draft another quarterback, unless they really, really believe in him, it's just going to be another Carson Wentz, Nick Foles type situation where I, I think, you know, Roseman's kind of living off that right now. He's kind of – he kind of thinks that – if I get a good backup, you know, just in case my quarterback goes down, we can still make a run. He, he's kind of on that Nick Foles wave, but drafting a quarterback six overall is not a way to get a, a good backup. You draft a quarterback that high if you're going to use him for the future. Otherwise, it's a waste of a pick. Uh, just in general, I, I'm a believer in Jalen Hurts. I think he can be a very, I think he can be a very solid quarterback uh, in the NFL. I would be surprised if they did take a quarterback, like they actually took one. I'm not surprised that they're considering it just because the Eagles have just not used logic whenever they've operated these past few years. Uh, but, you know, I also think that this, 
this kind of shores up the quarterback market a little bit. A lot of teams are looking for quarterbacks. You know, it's definitely winding him down now. Now, you know, we have two great quarterbacks. The two of the biggest quarterbacks are off the table completely for teams who need to step up and get a quarterback. And the Broncos and 49ers, there's been reports that, you know, they are sneakily looking for a quarterback as well. So add in those two teams that are coming into the mix and with all the teams that already need a new quarterback, there's not much left. I mean, there's Alex Smith, potentially Dak Prescott, uh, Marcus Mariota, I've heard floated around. You know, there's, it's definitely crunching down like the quarterback market. It's drying up. Yeah, that's for sure. I heard the Panthers are also trying to get it in the mix as well. Um, they can definitely use a quarterback. They're a solid offense uh, with a decent defense. You know, I could see them looking for a quarterback. There were reports saying that they would, you know, pretty much give a lot for Deshaun Watson, uh, potentially. I think that what they said that was a three first rounders and Christian McCaffrey, potentially. Um, that is a lot, but, you know, when it comes to a top five quarterback, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. So, you know, I, you kind of hit it right, the nail right on the head. Like, you know, the quarterback, the quarterback market definitely is starting to dry up. Um, now it's kind of like trying to find, you know, what's best for the system at this point now. Um, so we'll have to see what goes on from here on out for the quarterback market. But like on the end note for the talk about the trade, I think this trade definitely puts the Eagles probably further down in the NFC East. I don't see them even possibly contending for the NFC East uh, at the moment. Um, you know, we isn't kind of see we have to kind of see what happens in the offseason. But as of now, with Jalen Hurts the starter and most of their offense is probably going to look to probably let go of the uh, trade re release, such as um, Zach Ertz, I think Deshaun Jackson would probably, would probably cut him, a couple others, of course. Um, you know, it's they're kind of going to a full rebuild. So I don't see them even in contention for the NFC at this point. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens this offseason for them. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson's obviously going to be a, a hefty price to pay. So a lot of teams straight up just can't even afford him. So a lot of those teams are already out of the running to even try and trade for Deshaun Watson. Uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how everything unfolds. Uh, but speaking of speculation and trades and all this, uh, J.J. Watt got cut by Houston. That it was kind of a surprise to me but at the same time not really uh they houston texans you got to respect him for cutting him like letting him loose if could because i did believe he wanted out uh and kind of holding him and trying to trade him it's you know it would have been tougher on jj watt than it would have been on the texans uh but jj watt's a free agent completely he can go wherever the heck he wants uh and he's been teasing a lot a lot of places i'm gonna bring some places up why don't you go ahead and tell me the likelihood of it? Packers. Very likely. It's likely. It's likely. I won't say very likely, but it's likely. Oh, um, okay. yeah. For the Packers, I mean, I can get more okay. into it later because I was I had something I had to say also as well, but I'd like to just yeah. go on. Okay. I'm going to give the Packers, I'd say it's pretty likely as well. Steelers. Um, at the moment, I would say it seems quite likely. Yeah, 
I'm actually going to say it's not likely. I think the Steelers are – I think they're fine with their line. They don't really need to add J.J. Watt to it. I think they're okay with it. It would be cool to see him team up with his brothers, but, you know, I'm not exactly sure how many minutes he'd end up getting. Uh, Browns. Um, I know there was one period of time they said he was supposedly seriously considering going to the Browns, but I don't – I don't see it necessarily happening, actually. I think it's actually not very likely. I think it's somewhat likely. I think it's somewhat feasible. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. If you held, you know, if you forced me to say an answer, I would say, no, nah, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, the Bills. Bills. There was mutual interest between the Bills and Watt, but. Bills got a lot of people to yeah, they have a lot of people to pay. I would say, just due to that, I would say they're probably like in the middle of likely and unlikely. It's just down the middle. I'm not sure on that one. I'm going to say it's unlikely. I th- uh, I do believe that the Bills GM said something along the lines of they're really looking to build through the draft this year because they don't have as much money to go out and get big free agents. So unless J.J. Watt takes a big pay cut, I don't really see him ending up there. Uh, and let's go Bears. I said that is very unlikely. I do not see that happening whatsoever. I kind of put this in the same same breath as the Browns. I'd say it's somewhat likely. I don't see it, you know, happening. But if it happened, I wouldn't be totally shocked. Uh, and the last team I have on here is the Buccaneers. <laughs> they would have to pull out some crazy tricks to get what um they have a lot of people to pay as well a lot of people are due for big 10 paydays as well so um just thinking about chris goggle off the top of my head you can bear it i think it was also as dead and white or was it um yeah. avante david i think it's avante david who was also due for big contract. Up yeah so I, I i highly doubt what go to the bucks uh i think it's I think it's decently likely. I think it's a good chance. If he does go to the Bucks, he obviously would have to take a pay cut. But at the same time, if he views that as like, this could get me a ring, maybe that incentivizes him to take a pay cut. Maybe he grabs a one-year deal and just jumps on the Bucks. Uh, I, I think I could see it happening. Oh, I do also want to bring up, uh, I've heard some people say the Chiefs. I really don't think so. I mean, they do they really have enough money to even... Once again, he'd have to take a massive pay cut. Uh, he'd obviously help their line a bunch, but like, would they even have enough to really entice him to stay? I don't know. No, I don't see the Chiefs either, to be honest. I'm surprised I didn't bring up the Titans. The Titans were a team were, that were also interested in Watt, um, but I don't see Watt going there. I feel like Watt probably wants to go to a more sure contender. Um, so I would feel like they would probably be out of the mix due to that fact alone. Yeah, I agree. And you said you were uh, you had some thoughts about the Packers and all that. Why don't you go? Yeah, to before that, I wanted to just touch on some other people trying to recruit what that I thought was quite entertaining. Uh, Dexter Lawrence from the Cowboys. He wanted uh, Watt to come over to the Cowboys. I don't see that happening at all. And I don't know if you saw on Instagram, but uh, DeAndre Hopkins posted a picture like you know, like yeah, him and uh, Watt in a Arizona Cardinals uniform together. That was kind of funny. Um, don't see that happening anytime soon, but I thought that was kind of entertaining to say the least. But um, for me, I think that the Packers are the most likely to happen because um, if you watch 
it's a video. Um, if you just know anything about J.J. Watt in general, J.J. Watt played uh, college ball over at the University of uh, Wisconsin. Um, he's a lot of ties with Wisconsin because, you know, he was born in Wisconsin. Obviously, he was raised in Wisconsin. Um, you know, if you watch the video, as I was saying earlier, he was decked out in Wisconsin gear. Um, and for me, it just kind of felt like he was ready to go home. And, you know, Green Bay is a contender, which that's what he wants to play for at the moment. Green Bay is in Wisconsin, which is his home. <laughs> um, the team can definitely use another edge rusher. Um, and if you didn't notice, they are breaking up, uh, not breaking up, but they are making cap space uh, in general. Uh, I don't know if you've been monitoring the moves or not. Um, like David Bakary, I think he re, re, uh, re, reconstructed his bonus of his contract to create some cap space. Um, they haven't signed back Aaron Jones, which will be a lot of cap space. So I'm thinking maybe the kid could be leaving that cap space open to make potential move at Watt. Um, that's how I kind of have seen it as of recent. Now, you know, is getting a player like J.J. Watt their biggest need? No, it's not. I think they can definitely use more help in the safety position or just in the secondary in general. But it's just how I think about Washington. You have to strengthen your strengths. You have to go with the best option to help out the best part of your defense to make it easier for the other parts of your defense. With Washington, they drafted Chase Young. That helped out the front line, uh, their defensive front line. And it made you forget, sometimes it made you forget watching the games, how rough their secondary could be at times. Um, obviously, they got exposed in the Buccaneers game in the playoffs, of course. But, but throughout the season, that front line was the thing everyone kept talking about for Washington. It made you just it kind of put their secondary play in the back of your head. So I'm thinking like, you know, as bad as, or as rough as their secondary was in the playoffs for the Packers, maybe adding another edge rusher could possibly help take some pressure off of the, of the secondary. So that's how I kind of see it with Green Bay. That's why I think it could be likely, um, but we'll have to see honestly, JJ Watt, um, any opinion on that part? Yeah, I have noticed they've been making a lot of cap room. Uh, at first, I thought it was because maybe they want to sign an, maybe an Allen Robinson or something to help with uh, the receiving core. But you're right. I think J.J. Watt would be – I think he'd be a good fit. You're right. They do need safety help. They do need secondary help for sure. But uh, the more you, people you put on the line, the easier it is on the guys in the secondary. So, yeah, I, in my opinion, I think his most likely destination is Green Bay. But I wouldn't be surprised at any of the names that – or any of the teams I just named. and just about every team could really use J.J. Watt, let's be real. These are just kind of the teams that are looking to try and contend that J.J. Watt might think, hey, I could push this team over, uh, besides the Bears, that is. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so did you also see that Von Miller got uh, – I believe he's in talks. Does he need to get cut or traded? Yeah, I think there's some off-field stuff he's been getting into as of recent. So, uh, you know, I'm just hoping that he's okay mentally and, you know, he can get back on track. Um, because I know as a player, he's a great player, but obviously with off-field things, that does kind of get in the way uh, at certain times. And I feel like at this moment it could be. Um, I forgot the, the severity of it, but I do remember there was some comments and things he said that were um, – just didn't seem uh, – it just seemed out of character and just seemed very, like, 
not like him. But, um, you know, I just hope, you know, he's going to be okay. I just hope that, you know, his situation gets dealt, uh, dealt with properly. And, you know, if he does get cut, you know, I wish him the best. And I hope he can find the help he needs. Yeah, I'm not too educated on what exactly happened behind the scenes there, but you know, if he does return to, if he does come back to football, a lot of teams could be interested in uh, wanting to take him on. He's still he's still a very effective player at, even at his age. Uh, so yeah, those are kind of the the biggest names, kind of speculating uh, about all that stuff. We talked about Dak Prescott last podcast, so if you are wondering where Dak might end up, check out the podcast from last week. Uh, And then we're going to round out the NFL stuff with Alex Smith. What's next for Alex Smith, man? You know, um, with his story of his comeback and all that that's happened this year, you you can't really take anything away from it. Um, You know, it was impressive to see him play, even though he doesn't have the, the best stats if you look at it on paper. Just watching him and knowing what he had to go through to come back and play, it it was inspiring, to say the least. Um, but, you know, due to his injury and with the window of opportunity that's present for the Washington football team, um, I do see them most likely cutting him. because I think it would save them $10 million in cap space, which they definitely can use to get a receiver, uh, potentially a quarterback, or whatever else they need, uh, to be honest. Um, Smith's already said outright that he's not going to retire in 2021 season. And, you know, I don't see Washington wanting to keep him. Um, so for me, how I see what's next for him, um, the two places I actually see that's what's next for him is possibly New England or Jacksonville. Um, now, the reason why I have New England uh, as one of the options for me Um you know, I feel like he'll probably come in there to back up Stidham or whoever they decide to play. But their quarterback is at its weakest. So it is a chance that he could even start over in New England. Um, I think if New England can get him cheap, which they probably will, I feel like Alex Smith will probably take any opportunity to come back and play. Um, they'll probably as a bridge quarterback, um, kind of a, pers- a piece they use to kind of transition to the next part of their future. Um, but like I said, to get them cheap, um, this can help them spend money elsewhere, such as the wide receiver position, which we saw how bad that was this year about Edelman. And even with Edelman, they didn't look the most impressive either. Um, tight end position was arguably probably the worst position they had in the league this year. Um, and they can just use that, that money to probably top up other positions around the team in general. Um, you know, and, and Alex Smith, he's not he's not a gunslinger. He's not going to throw, you know, 60 yard passes. He's never, he's never been that kind of guy. So them having a time managing quarterback, like, like Alex Smith wouldn't hurt their offense because if you saw the, their stats offensively, it wasn't the prettiest. Uh, so I think Alex Smith could be okay. Uh, even decent and on a team like the Patriots. And then for Jacksonville, um, the reason I chose them is because he has tied with his then Utah coach, now new head coach in Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer. Um, you know, this team is not looking to compete anytime soon. I think he can definitely come in there more so as a veteran presence and mentor Trevor Lawrence, who I think definitely would be the first pick of the first round. Um, you know, 
and even possibly, you know, no one really really talks about what Smith, but um, to some extent, he could possibly bring a winning culture over to Jacksonville. Uh, no, I know he hasn't won any Super Bowls or anything like that, but as a starter for Washington, he was 11 and five, and as a starter for the Chiefs, he was 50 and 26. You know, and even with Lawrence's uh, recovery from his shoulder injury, which is just kind of to clean up the shoulder, if he's not ready for the season, hypothetically speaking. Um, you know, we could see Alex Smith get some playing time. I don't know if, you know, it depends on how they feel, because obviously there is still Gardner Minshew. Uh, I think they might have someone else, but really just Gardner Minshew for the most part. Um, but, you know, I think that he could just definitely come in there and just mentor the young guys and get up on the right track and get them into a better mindset. Yeah, I really like those teams you just named to go to. I actually – was kind of going in a different route for uh, Alex Smith. I kind of think that, you know, I don't really think he's ever really going to start again unless a major injury happens to somebody, uh, which sucks because I, I really like Alex Smith. And, you know, uh, and I really, I love his story of how he came back. Uh, and it was just incredible to see. But, you know, he, I just, he's not at the level of a, normal starting quarterback in the NFL he can fill in for you and he can definitely carry you to some wins but he's not gonna like take you through a whole season uh, I don't and I don't think most people really see him as that either I don't think most people consider him a a year-long starter but uh to be honest I I kind of was looking at it more as like maybe he goes to Indianapolis uh and backs up Carson Wentz because uh, Carson Wentz is injury prone and that could be a good opportunity for him to get some minutes right there. And this is also what I'm thinking. Does Indianapolis really want to give up a first round pick? You know, they might only play uh, Carson Wentz, maybe 70% of their snaps uh, just to try and only give up a second. That That's something that they might do. So if they do decide to do that, uh, they might, you know, uh, sorry, Alex Smith could help with that. And he could definitely fill in at times, uh, maybe play a, half a quarter or something like that. Uh, and then I also considered maybe he goes to uh, the LA Rams. Uh, Stafford, you know, we don't exactly know how he's going to look. He's also had some injuries in the past. Uh, and if Stafford isn't exactly living up to expectations, uh, Sean McVay is not, you know, he, he benched Jared Goff when he could have played in the first round for that, uh, I forgot his name exactly, but that their backup quarterback, and he gave him a chance. Wolford? Yes, Wolford. I could see, I could definitely see, you know, if if Stafford isn't playing up to snuff, if they're not really satisfied with what he's doing, maybe they slap an Alex Smith, like, here you go, like, just go out and do something, try and make something happen. So those are the kind of the, the two places I saw for him. That would probably be one of the best places. Uh, but, you know, I honestly, I just wish Alex Smith luck. Uh, he... At the very end of his career, I love to see him. I would love to see him just go to Washington and just be a quarterback coach. I think he would be a fantastic quarterback coach. His story in general is just enough to uh, inspire whoever, whatever quarterback he's working with, or at least it should be. So I, I think his future future, once he is done with the league, I think he could be a fantastic quarterback coach. And I'd love to see him return to Washington just because they've already kind of embraced him there. They're, you know, th that's the place where he came back. So it sucks to see him kind of leave Washington, but, you know, it's, it's kind of for the best both ways because he would likely be a third string uh, in D.C. as opposed to 
maybe a backup somewhere else. So, you know, it sucks to see Alex Smith leave, but, you know, I wish him luck and he's had a great career. So. Yeah. I mean, people forget that he had such a great career because a lot of it was overshadowed by just a lot of losses in the postseason and stuff like that. Um, he's a pretty winning quarterback uh, for most part. I think he's a winning record over for his overall career. Um, don't forget how solid he was with the Chiefs. Yes, the Chiefs weren't the most impressive team, and you know they weren't the team that we see now. But he was the precursor for Mahomes. He did teach Mahomes a lot of stuff before he did leave. Mahomes, I think, in an interview after the Super Bowl uh, a couple of years ago or a year ago, he did give credit to Alex Smith for why he is who he is. So you know how I see it is Alex Smith doesn't get a lot of credit for a lot of the stuff he has achieved. Um, you know, people always just kind of think of him as the guy like, oh, he got replaced by, you know, Colin Kaepernick. Oh, he got replaced by Patrick Mahomes. Oh, he got replaced by Taylor Heineke. Oh, he got, like, he's much more than that. I feel like, you know, he didn't, he's was such a good quarterback. Um, you know, no, I know his stats don't really speak like it, but uh, for if you watch his games and just watch the way he played, he played winning football. And that's, at the end of the day, it's all that really matters. So, you know, a lot of credit to him. I do hope for him, uh, hope the best for him. And, you know, I just hope that wherever he goes next, uh, they embrace him like that he was embraced in his previous uh, locations. Yeah, and I mean, he's just a great dude in general. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're kind of an older quarterback and there's a young guy behind you, it's kind of easy to just be like, man, screw this guy. I still want to play. But, you know, Alex Smith, the fact that he took the time to mentor Colin Kaepernick and mentor uh, Patrick Mahomes and all that, and even mentor Taylor uh, Heineke and everybody else on the Washington team in general. The fact that he still takes that time to really mentor and give everybody a fair shot. He does. He, I've never really heard him complain over his entire career for the most part over minutes or anything. He's just a fantastic dude. He's a dude I would love to have in the locker room. Uh, and you're right. I, like I said before, I, I wish him the best, uh, but let's, let's go ahead and jump right into some NBA news. So, as we are recording this, actually, I do believe the all-star starters have been announced. Uh, this shouldn't really be any surprise. There were mostly, it was mostly just the people that were leading in general. So uh, in the East, it was Kyrie, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. And Kevin Durant was named the captain. So he's going to be picking from uh, picking his lineup. Uh, and then in the West, the all-stars were Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. And LeBron's uh, the captain again for the fourth straight All-Star game. Uh, and yeah, it's not much of a surprise. Uh, we talked about our All-Star predictions on the last podcast. We also have a clip of it on our YouTube channel. So if you're interested, you can find us uh, on YouTube at Speed Truth Sports if you're listening on the podcasting apps. Uh, and if you are watching on YouTube, go click to it real quick and jump back. Um, yeah, so we already kind of talked about our starters, so we can kind of scoot past that. But there was some, there was a little bit of uh, controversy over Damian Lillard versus Luka Doncic. There's kind of a big thing going on on Twitter right now where people are like, Dame deserved it, not Luka. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, Dame's playing on a winning team. Um, that's my biggest thing for him. Uh, Luka stats-wise, I mean, it's, it's probably, it's, I think stats-wise is better than Dame's. Uh, also, just the fact that I feel like if Luca didn't play, that team wouldn't even be close to the playoffs right now, or even even the record they even have now, because they're not in the playoff mix at the moment. 
But I mean, yeah, I give credit for Dame. Uh, credit where credit is due. I think Dame should have got it. I think Dame, he's always been kind of underrated, underlooked. Um, you know, what they're doing in Portland right now. I mean, people thought that after McCullum, Nurkic, with those injuries, they thought that like, oh, this team's probably gonna slide a lot of games and just kind of like fall out of the, the playoffs and then try to work their way back when the the other two come you know come back later on. But you know. They've been holding their own. I mean, credit, you gotta give credit where credit is due as well for Melo. Melo's been playing very well as, um, you know, as well as, not as well as Dame, but playing as well, and which was not expected. Um, but, you know, Dame is the leading charge of that team. Uh, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I had Luka as my pick, but I can see why people would think Dame should be a all-star. I mean, it was, it can kind of go either way for me, um, you know, Sometimes it's just much more than stats. I think right now, I think it's because Luca's probably more popular and he has the stats. But like, if you watch Impact, I think Dame's probably more impactful at the moment. So, is what it is. Yeah. So currently, as of when we're recording this, the Trailblazers are fourth in the West. They climbed up to fourth. Uh, they're eighteen and ten. Uh, meanwhile, the Dallas Mavericks are thirteen and fifteen, and they are tenth in the West. I see where people are coming from. Uh, with why Dame should have been in. And I, I do kind of agree. Uh, if we're just kind of going off straight up skill and who's been leading their team the best and, and also, also wins, um, Dame has been better this season, in my opinion, so far. But, you know, the, the fan vote is a lot of, it's just a lot, mostly popularity. And so even if Luca doesn't exactly get the votes over Dame with the media vote and the player vote, the fan votes 50% of the vote and the media is 25%. The players are 25%. So the fan vote, if he's still overwhelmingly above Dame, he's probably going to get in straight up. So he, and he did get in. Uh, the only argument I can really see to put Luca in over Dame as a starter is that, like you said, like without Luca, the Mavericks would be probably the worst team in the West. Uh, but also Dame just has a lot more talent around him. He's dealt with a lot more injuries, though. That's the thing. His team has been injured a lot this year. They're missing their starting center. They're missing their star shooting guard. They're missing a lot of players, but they're still getting wins. I think that's commendable enough. I think Dame probably should have been the starter. I, I, I said on the all-star picks that if I if it was up to me, it would be Donovan Mitchell, and I still stick by that. But if we're just talking about Dame or Luka, I'd probably put Dame above Luka, in my opinion. All right, but let's let's go ahead and move on from that. I want to talk a little bit about John Wall's return to DC. Okay, I uh, as you as everyone should know by now, hopefully, I am a Washington Wizards fan, and I was absolutely I was down bad when John Wall got traded. I was very down bad, uh, but you know, o- over time, I've kind of learned to live with it. You know, it is what it is. But watching John Wall absolutely cook. The Wizards was just, man, it, it, it was very, it was a very tough thing to watch. Even though the Wizards did get the win, the Rockets uh, put up a really, they put up a really good fight and John Wall was straight up. He was leading basically a G League roster at that point. They had lost, I believe, every single starter except for John Wall. Uh, everybody was out basically for that game. Uh, and John Wall still put up 29 and 11, like, just a classic John Wall stat line. 
like from 2017 or even earlier. Uh, but I, I, the one thing I really want to bring up is like the blatant disrespect from the Wizards franchise about his tribute video. I understand there was no fans in the arena. So it's kind of weird, maybe just playing it to one person, just playing a tribute video. But this guy's been here for 10 years. He was our golden boy for 10 years. He was our franchise's number one pick. He had so many great moments uh, in the playoffs, in the regular season, you know, and even, even off the court, just off the court, he's done so much for DC. He was the heart and soul of DC while he was here. He was, the city really embraced him and he embraced everybody back. The John Wall family foundation is incredible. They've done so much for the city of DC and just in general, you know, John Wall won the community assist award in 2016. You know, if that doesn't show how committed he is to the community and how beloved he is by the community, I don't know what will. And the owner, Ted Leonsis, and, you know, they should know this. They should know how much John Wall means to the people of DC and they should have played the tribute before the game because they played about like a, I believe a 40 second tribute during a timeout, during a timeout, during the game, it was, it was like, I believe like seven minutes into the game, they, they called somebody called a timeout finally. And then they played the tribute and you know what John Wall was doing? Talking to his teammates. Because he's in a game. He's in the middle of a game. He was talking to his teammates. He was talking to his coaches. He wasn't paying any type of attention to the video because it was in the game. He's locked in in the moment. What do you expect him to do? Just drop everything and look up? Like, how, how selfish would that look of John Wall to do that in front of his teammates? That they, it was just such a, it was so disrespectful to have your franchise player for 10 years when he comes back to just give him, a 40 second tribute in a timeout. That's just so disrespectful in my opinion. I really, really dislike what they did to John Wall. And I feel like they still continue to disrespect John Wall. John Wall had talked about how he uh, he's waiting for fans to come back into the, into the arena because those are the people he loves the most. He loves the fans in DC and he loves the people that are playing DC. So he, you know, he loves our roster and all that. He never mentioned anything really good about the front office. I mean, the front office straight up lied to him. Straight up, they there was an article on the Athletic about what really happened, like when John Wall was being traded, and John Wall had said that they told him the Russell Westbrook trade was just you know it wasn't true, it wasn't really going to happen, none, none of that was going to happen, and they straight up lied to him and traded him like a few days later. So, you know, the front office has just been so tactless with how they've approached John Wall. I legitimately feel I. I legitimately feel bad for him. And it just sucks as a Wizards fan to watch the dude that like I grew up watching for the most part was John Wall. And it just sucks to watch him be treated like this by the fan, by the franchise. It's just so disrespectful. The The fan base loves him. He's like the most beloved DC player. I think of the, uh, of the modern era, I guess, because, you know, West Sunset, I'm sure, was very popular and Alvin Hayes and all of them in the 70s. But up from the 2000s and up, you know, John Wall is probably the most beloved Wizards player from the 2000s and up. And just to treat him the way they did, it legitimately, it really soured my opinion on the Wizards franchise. And I really, you know, 
I really hope they do better than this. This is the, it just felt really petty. You know, they also did. They, a lot of people don't know this. Uh, this is mostly like Wizards fan stuff, but like they they had an announcer named Steve Buckhans, who was, he was an announcer for them for like 40 years or something, 30 or 40 years, something like that. And they did him dirty and they didn't tell him that they were releasing him on his contract until it was up. So he didn't even really, you know, he, the writing was kind of on the wall, but he didn't really know until they just said, yeah, we're not, we're not, we don't want you back. Like they didn't give him any type of warning in advance. Like, Hey, like, this is like, we're not exactly looking to bring you back. Like we're looking to kind of move on. They didn't give him any type of warning in advance. They just cut him, which is also extremely disrespectful. I don't like how this franchise is handling letting people go or trading people or any of that stuff. Uh, and they didn't use any footage that Buck Hans, uh narrated in or spoke over in the tribute. They didn't use a single bit of footage. His voice was not, not in that tribute at all. And that's just petty. At that point, that's just very petty in my opinion, because he called a lot of, he called a lot of John Wall's biggest uh, plays and biggest highlights and his iconic, his iconic line was the dagger. Like he kind of invented that. And they like, just to not hear a single time, just not, just not, just to not hear a single dagger during that tribute video when he's, he said dagger to John Wall's shots many times, just to hear not a single one is just ridiculous. It's very unprofessional, very tactless and very petty by the Wizards front office. And I'm, I'm really not happy about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, that was, I felt like, I mean, John Wall said it the last time they played when they were in Houston, that it just kind of felt like they gave up on him. It kind of felt like they thought he was washed. They kind of thought he was dealt, he was done for. And, you know, he's been playing, you know, quite well in Houston. Um, oh, I, I do tune in some, to some Houston games just to watch John Wall play because, you know, for me, I don't know if you guys know this, but I also am a Wizards fan. And the person that got me into Wizards basketball, you know, was John Wall. Yeah, I did watch, you know, come in and watch a couple of Gipper Rings games. Um, but that was near the end and around the time where he had the incident, um, of course. And then I did, when they were really bad, with Andre Blatch's leading, like the, the main leader of the team, it was hard to watch them. It was, you know. I remember the coach, Eddie Jordan. I remember how bad the team was. And then they got John Wall, you know. And John Wall was this young guy, came into the Dougie first thing. I was like, okay, okay, this guy's is a swag, you know. Rocket wedded, you know. I'm a young kid, so I'm just like I'm. I just like I got attached, and you know, I remember so many games and all the stuff he's done for you know DC. You know, I will. I'll never forget. I feel like that's the only highlight they always show in like the what's like Bleach Report and other other things like that. But the shot he had against the Celtics to push it to Game Seven, I think it was 2016 playoffs. 2017. 2016-2017 season the 2017 playoffs and just just I know they lost game seven um but man just to watch that live it, it meant so much you know um it's, I don't think the team has made the playoffs since you know John Wall's been predominantly injured so to let him go and boot him off and give him a, a 45 to 40 like 40 second to 45 second um you know video to tribute it's just tacky um I also agree that it should have been the beginning of the game. Uh, I think when Kyrie had his tribute video with the Cavaliers when they played the Nets early this season, you know, he had his video uh, before the game, of course. Um, you know, 
I feel like, and he was there. I mean, yeah, he won a championship with um, LeBron, and they he had he spent a good amount of years with the Cavs. But I felt like John Wall, at one period of time, he was the Wizards. You know, um, you know, Bradley. It was Bradley Bill and John Wall, but Bradley the Wall was the start. He was the guy. Like, if it wasn't for Wall, I don't think. I'm not gonna say I don't think Bill would be the player he is now, but I feel like he did play a lot into Bill's development. Uh, I remember early on when Bill came, uh, came out of Florida, he was kind of, you know, a bit of a spotty shooter, um, a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries it felt like in the beginning of his career. But I felt like John Wall was able to hold that team together. And I felt like they developed so well together. And just to see him get traded and lied to, lied to and get traded, it was just, I felt like, as a fan, I got lied to as well. And I felt betrayed by um, well, the front office. Um, I always kind of felt like Ted Leonsis, as the owner of the Wizards, just never really cared about the Wizards because he also does own the Washington Capitals, who have won a Stanley Cup. I think that was back in 2017, if I recall correctly. Um, 2018, 20, 2017, 2018, somewhere around that time frame. Um, but he always just put more money into the hockey program, obviously, more so than the Wizards. And, you know, it kind of shows that he just never really, for me, never really cared about the Wizards. So what he did to John Wall, as shocking as it should be, if you know him or know about him as the owner, it's not the most surprising thing. I mean, even with the Capitals, when they won the Stanley Cup, they kind of let their coach go like it was nothing. And they haven't played as well as they should have been playing the past few years. I just felt like if they really wanted to keep going with their winning culture, they would keep the same coach they just won with, but they didn't. And I just felt like Washington Wizards, if they want to keep, try to get back to where they were before John Wall's injury and how well they were playing then, should have just kept John Wall, played out. I think they should have let him played out this season before potentially even thinking of a trade because what comes to John Wall he had such a big contract and they never let him even play up to the money they, they spent for him. We never got to see him play under that big contract as a wizard. He just got sent over to the Houston Rockets and, you know, no disrespect to Russell Westbrook. You know, he's been playing fairly okay. Um, I'm not going to get too much on him because he's, he's just, for me, he's a good player, but right now I mean, he's a great player, but right now he's just like, his shooting's very rough. It's kind of hard to watch at times. Um, he does a, do a very good job dishing the ball out and getting rebounds. Um, but, you know, I don't think at the moment he plays – well, now I think they broke their threshold. Because at one point they had more wins without Russell Westbrook than they did with, but I think now they've broken that up. And I think he's – I think they have about five wins with him now and four without him. I'm getting too much into that. But I just feel like with John Wall – they should have let him played a lot more. They should have let him played under that contract. I feel like they should have trusted him when he was going through rehab. I mean, they let him. They really watched this man literally go through rehab, go through it all, and they were, you know, they were there for him at the time. At least I thought they were there for him until they saw him. Oh, he's trading value now. Let's just get rid of him. And I just felt like they could have done more to protect such a big franchise player like Wall. So. What happened on the game they played 
the Rockets recently. It's like, if you know much about that front office, it shouldn't really come up too much surprise, which is disappointing and it's upsetting. And, you know, as a Wizards fan, I try not to think about the front office as much, but, you know, they hold on to a lot of, they do do a lot of bad things. And, um, you know, I just felt like this was very disappointing as a Wizards fan. I just felt like they could have done a lot more. It was nice to see John Wall, you know, put up his 29 and 11. I think that's his season highs this year. Um, But, you know, I just wish there was some way they could have done more you know, to respect such a big player like Wall. Because he, like you were saying, he's done so much for the community of Washington, D.C. You know, he's done so much um, for the team. And just to do it like that, I just, I'm just annoyed. Yeah. I'm kind of sick to my stomach a little bit, but just annoyed. Yeah, and like even John Wall had talked about in the article that was uh, written by The Athletic. It was on The Athletic, written by Fred Katz, I believe. John Wall had said that, you know, his biggest regret is that he did he didn't get to just run it back one last time with him and Bradley Beal. And so all the noise about Bradley Beal doesn't want John Wall or all that. No, the what really was going on was that Scott Brooks didn't want John Wall and the owner Ted Leonsis didn't want John Wall, so they kind of forced Tommy Shepard's hand into making that move. Uh, but even still, I just don't understand why they traded him when his value was at its very lowest unless they genuinely didn't believe that he was going to come back himself. Uh, you know, they, they did talk about the John Wall did talk about how he thinks one of the main reasons was because that video came out about him, like throwing up the gang signs. Uh, but why is it only a problem when he's off the court? He did it on the court during a playoff game. He flashed gang signs. They didn't say anything about that because they were winning. They were in the playoffs. Now all of a sudden they're losing. He's he's coming back from a big injury, and they're like, "Wow, now it's a big deal." Like, I don't know about that. I think it was a very lame excuse for the Wizards front office to kind of dump him at that point. And in general, just I mean, for the people who think John Wall and Bradley Beal didn't get along, like you're tripping. Like Bradley Beal was there, dirt. Like Bradley Beal was literally there as John Wall's mom, you know, was in the hospital and passing away from cancer. Bradley Beal was there with him. He is his brother. I mean, they're, those two are very close. They're, they're good friends. They still talk, they still talk every day. They both said it. Uh, you know, those two are, they're brothers forever at this point. You know, they've been together so long. You don't stay, you don't stay on a team for 10 years if you don't like the guy you're playing with. If you really don't like the star that you're, uh, there's the other star that you're playing with, you don't stay on a team for 10 years. You know, I think David Aldridge, kept trying to push that narrative of Wall and Beal don't like each other, completely false. And John Wall even said that, you know, when he got traded, the first person he called was, the first person that called him was Bradley Beal. And they both just talked and they both just started crying because they realized they couldn't run it back one last time. Like, like John Wall's a good dude. Bradley Beal's a good dude, but they just did John Wall so dirty. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did Bradley Beal dirty. Genuinely, I, I really am losing hope in the Wizards franchise in general. Uh, my biggest fear for the Wizards is that they sneak into the eighth seat and they extend Scott Brooks. That is my biggest nightmare for the Wizards. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, I every time I see the Wizards versus the Rockets, uh, if, you know, if someone were to ask me, who are you rooting for? 
I'm going to say John Wall. I'm not going to say the Wizards because just because of how dirty they did him. I still support the Wizards and I still root for them, but you know, I am not. I I advise all Wizards fans out there to just stop financially supporting the Wizards like organization until they get their act together and become more professional about the way they do things. Like this is just ridiculous. Uh, I'd say stop financially supporting them. You know, don't really go to games and all that. Uh, trying to buy merch, stuff like that. But, you know, I, I just think that, look, next year when fans are going to be in the arena, if they don't play another tribute video, if they don't run it back and do him right, I'm genuinely going to be extremely angry at the Wizards organization. Uh, and I, I know the fans in the arena are going to be just as angry too. They're going to be cheering every single time Wall hits any type of shot. And I haven't seen a Wizards game sold out in a very long time, in a very long time. But I know that when when a when John Wall finally comes back to DC with fans, that arena will completely be sold out. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. So yeah, there's everything about John Wall. <laughs> big, big. I get a lot of stuff off my chest, and then you did too, from what it seems. Yeah, I mean, one thing with Scott, I think my biggest concern is, um, is you know, if they do end up doing another star player such like Bill wrong. I, I kind of hope that the Wizards don't go down the path where they get rid of everybody but the wrong person, which is Scott Brooks. I feel like Scott Brooks yeah. is the heart of the issue. Um, you know, him and John Wall not getting along. I think they got an argument a couple of weeks ago to practice and he cussed out Brooks and I think Brooks cried or something like that. It was a report like that a while back. Um, I just feel like that probably was probably what started the issues between those two, uh, them not just getting along, and him. I feel like, you know, Scott, if Scott Brooks really did play a part in John Wall being traded, you know, shame on Brooks because they could definitely use John Wall this year. They can, you know, they should have definitely run it back. You know, no disrespect to Russell Westbrook. You know, he's an all-star, not this year, but he's a big previous all-star, you know, former MVP, he's a great player. But John Wall and the Wizards, it, it just fit a lot more. Um, so, you know, I just hope for the best with Wall. Um, I hope the Wizards do get their act together as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot, I guess there's a good amount of seasons still left, so we'll have to see what happens with them. And something I do want to bring up just to end it is that, you know, John Wall has always been one of the most upfront, honest people ever. I mean, just the fact that he let just about everything loose in this interview with Fred Katz just shows it. I mean, he's just, he's upfront, honest. He values honesty and loyalty over everything. That's the type of dude John Wall is. And that's not what the organization was giving to him in the end. They didn't give him that honesty. And they apparently did, they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have traded him. Let's be real. Um, yeah. And John Wall is also, you know, even after that gang, that gang sign video came out, he called each individual front office member. He called each individual player and he apologized to every single person. You know, he did what he was supposed to do. He, 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 took it like a man and he just said I'm going to apologize for what I've done and he did and the organization still still you know was hung up on that video coming out when let's be real everyone forgot about it in like uh, like a couple weeks everyone completely forgot about that video so yeah just on an ending note they did John Wall dirty they better they better do him right when there's fans in the arena and when they bring him back they better do him right that's at that time otherwise I'm going to be very angry. I'm sure a lot of Wizards fans are going to be very, very angry. 
But let's go ahead and just move on from all that. Uh, let's jump to Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. So there's been a lot of uh, speculation about these two getting traded. They've actually been sat down by their teams. They're being benched until they work out a trade or a buyout, which is strange in Blake Griffin's case because the buyout would have to be like 70 million plus dollars. I'm not sure if the owner would like really agree to a buyout on Blake Griffin's massive deal. It's kind of ridiculous. And uh, Andre Drummond, it makes more sense for why he would be bought out. Uh, and, but his value in general, just from what I've heard, is like a couple of second rounders. That's kind of where his value is at. A lot of people kind of overvalue him. You know, he's, in my opinion, he's kind of one of those centers that they put up great numbers, but he doesn't have a tremendous impact on the game, if that makes sense. You know, if you watch the game, a lot of times he does kind of ball hog and he just, you know, half his rebounds are from his own misses, let's be real. So, you know, his numbers look a lot better than what he is putting out on the court. And that's why his value is so low. Uh, other teams are seeing it too. Obviously it's why otherwise his value would be way higher with the numbers he's putting up. Uh, there's been some teams that have been interested. Uh, and those teams are the Nets, Lakers, Celtics, Raptors, Hornets, and Blazers. This is just for Drummond. Uh, what do you think with Drummond? Do you think he's going to end up on one of these teams? Is he going to be bought out? Is he going to be traded? Uh, what team do you think you'd fit best on all that? Uh, so it comes to Andre Drummond. I think the best. Well, I did you say the Celtics as well or no? For the yeah, Nets, yeah, okay. Lakers, Celtics, Raptors, Hornets, and Blazers. Okay, well, out of those teams, I think the best one would probably be the Nets. Now I know I feel like that's kind of cliche, and I feel like everyone's probably said that. Um, you know, for Arnold Bench, I wouldn't just mention just the Celtics. I think that's another team that would definitely benefit because they do need a big, um, you know, with the Celtics. I think they're in the bottom half of the league in rebounding and blocks. So, and, you know, like you said, I know Drummond doesn't put up the most – I mean, he puts up more glamorous stats than he actually, you know, plays. But, you know, he does average about a block or so. So, they could definitely use that regardless. The Celtics just need, you know, size in general. But back to my main point. Nets were the best pick for me because how I see it, um, you know, DeAndre Jordan's just not as effective as he used to be back in the day when he was with the Clippers and even, you know, with the Mavericks. Um, yes, I do agree that Drummond's play style is outdated. And he does lack a jumper, which is pretty pivotal in today's game. And, you know, sometimes, you know, um, what I'm seeing from the Cavs and I think even with the Pistons, sometimes at times where he has the ball in his hands for too long. However, when it comes to the Nets, between Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, I won't really see the ball in his hands unless, you know, he's getting a rebound or making, you know, certain other plays. Um, the team can still use uh, – not Carter, excuse me. can still use – Post-defense, uh, after they got rid of Jared Allen, they definitely could still use that. They haven't really filled that uh, that void since then. Um, you know, he's a decent defender, uh, above average. Uh, I know he averages around 1.6 fields per game and 1.2 blocks per game. And he has, I think, a, above average defensive rating and above average defensive uh, box plus minus in the league. So, you know, He's not the greatest defender. He's not the greatest rebounder. He's not the greatest center. 
you know, but he's good. He's decent. And that's all the team really needs. They just need a decent post defender. They need a decent, you know, rebounder. They they just need enough because offensively, like we see the Nets, they're like, a, I think they were at one point the number one offensive rating team in the NBA. Um, it was, but then on the flip side, they were the lowest, if not the lowest defensive rating in the NBA. So, you know, I feel like with Drummond there, he could help improve their defensive rating without really hurting their offensive rating. Because I feel like, like, I said, between Kyrie, Harden, Durant, he wouldn't really be seeing the ball in his hands. And he wouldn't have be in a situation where he is ball handling as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The Nets are a great place for him as well as the Celtics. Um, the only thing is that, you know, the Lakers and the Nets, I don't think they can really afford him unless they unless he gets bought out. So that's what they're kind of hoping for. The Celtics have a big trade exception they can use, but because they're at they're like at the hard cap, they kind of they need to also give away like Tristan Thompson or just straight up nine million dollars worth of money and players to actually acquire uh, Andre Drummond. So if they actually want to use the full exception, which they need to, because Andre Drummond's contract is pretty massive. Uh, they need to let go of a couple players, probably Tristan Thompson and probably somebody else, which be kind of funny to give Tristan Thompson right back to the Cavs right after he just signed with the Celtics. Uh, but look, that's why you don't sign with the Celtics. Look, because they're going to trade you, all right? <laughs> like, yeah. if, you, if you sign with the Celtics, you got to know full well, like, the second a good deal comes up, they will not pass up. You will be gone. They'll Like, that's it. Uh, so, you know, I would feel bad for Tristan Thompson, but at the same time, he kind of, he's asking for it by signing with the Celtics. Um, the Raptors, you know, I'm, I could kind of see what, what they're going for. You know, Andre Drummond, I don't want to take away from his post defense. His post defense is incredible. He's a very, very solid post defender. He's a very good rim protector, but his, you know, if some, if a, if a small ball five kind of gets switched on to him, he does struggle a bit going out to the perimeter and all that getting dragged out there. And uh, his offense just isn't the greatest in general either. So, you know, for the Raptors, they, they're looking for that defensive center just to kind of plant them and steady them. That's kind of how the Raptors go. They, they, that's how they've been these past couple of years. They've had a good defensive center in either Marco Sol or Serge Ibaka. That's kind of anchored their team so the rest of the team can play more effective defense. So I can kind of see why he goes there. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on the logistics of the trade there, but, you know, I think it could happen. Uh, the Hornets, I'm kind of baffled by why the Hornets are really interested in him. Um, they should kind of be looking to build more on LaMelo. Uh, I, I don't know if they should be looking to compete right now. If they wanted to, if MJ really wanted to, sure, I guess you could pick up Drummond, but, you know, that's whatever. The Blazers, the Blazers looking for a, every type of center possible. <laughs> they Nurkic got injured, and I've I've said from the moment that it happened that they should not have let Hassan Whiteside go. He was the only one playing any type of defense on Anthony Davis uh, on the Lakers. So if they wanted to be successful and keep moving, they'd have to keep Whiteside. And Whiteside went and signed for like a minimum with the Kings. Um, so here's here, here's also my thing with the with just all these teams that are interested in Andre Drummond. You could get a very similar thing for much less money. And by that, I mean, if you trade for maybe Hassan Whiteside or JaVale McGee, they're also very good rim protectors. They're also pretty solid, you know, just in general, their offense isn't the greatest, but they're both good rim protectors. 
that's kind of what Drummond is, but Drummond is like $30 million. He's making $30 million as opposed to those guys who are basically on minimums uh, at this point. So, you know, if I'm one of those teams, I would kind of look at it as like a, why am I dealing this out for Drummond? Who's probably going to leave in a year, probably going to leave right after this is done. And who also is kind of looking to pad his stats a little bit because he wants a big extension in, uh, in the, in this off season. Why would I really target him? Uh, when I could look at a JaVale McGee and or a Hassan Whiteside. Uh, you know, I'm just not sure exactly if he really will get traded. That's kind of the main thing holding his value back is that his his deal expires this year, this season, after the season's done. So, you know, he could very well leave you. Uh, and that's another, that's another reason his value is not very high. So, you know, on Drummond, you know, that, that, that's kind of what I think about Andre Drummond. I think he, he probably will get bought out, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team was like, I want to make sure we have him this season and give, you know, let us have a chance to re-sign him with bird rights in the next season and maybe throw a second rounder in there and try to snag him up. Uh, the Celtics never make any moves. So. <laughs> they need sorry. to. Yeah. Sorry, Celtics fans, but Danny Ainge hasn't done like, hasn't really made many great moves uh, for a while. Uh even though they, they have a they have a lot of they had so many assets and they've wasted a lot of them, but that's a completely different discussion. Uh, yeah, I mean the Celtics, they should be the ones to do it, in my opinion, but they probably will not. That's my that's my guess. They probably will think that they could get him in the offseason or sorry, in the free agent market once he's bought out. Uh, but it's you know the Celtics just they they could have traded for Miles Turner, but they for some reason they want to win every trade completely. They don't want to have a win-win trade. Uh, they could have traded Hayward for Miles Turner, which would have they wouldn't have even needed to solve this problem. Miles Turner is one of the best defensive centers in the league right now. He's averaging I believe like three blocks a game. That's pretty ridiculous. That's kind of exactly what the Celtics need. And Danny Ainge didn't pull the trigger on that for whatever reason. And it's really cost the team a lot so far going through the season. Uh, but yeah, if they, if they did do the Andre Drummond move, it would definitely be like a desperation. Like we need to use a trade exception kind of a move, but I, I, I can't see them doing it. Yeah. I think also the Celtics had a chance to trade for Drew Holiday, trade Kimba, but they, they, they some weird things they didn't get ironed out. So, you know, they had an opportunity to really add defense this year. It sounds like, cause well, Drew Holiday, or Miles Turner, both of them are good defensive players. So they did have an opportunity to elevate their team, but I just feel like Danny Ainge was too afraid. And they also, I think he made a report saying, it was a recent report saying that he said, if there's someone to blame for the Celtics not being good right now, it's Danny Ainge. He said that himself. So I'm glad he's at least taking some accountability, but it's that's nice. But instead of telling us it's your fault, make a difference. You know what I'm saying? Like you're the GM, do something about it. Don't tell us it's your fault. We know it's your fault. You're the one at the helm. Make a difference. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and just touching on Blake Griffin, I don't think he's going to be traded at all. I, I, I've i heard nothing about any team really even being interested in Blake Griffin. Uh, I've heard one, but they're, I don't think they'll do it because of uh, – I don't think they'll trade for him, but they'll, they'll do it if it's a contract buyout, I heard. And that's the Lakers. Yeah, but the Lakers are looking for everybody. The, which, is why, which is why they're they're looking so good right now is because they're never satisfied with the roster. They're always trying to improve it. But here's the thing about Blake Griffin, right? He's making, I believe, $36 million this season. And 
his stats are horrendous. Just genuinely, they're horrendous. They're um, he's averaging twelve points. Career uh, low. Career low. Four assists. I think that's a. I don't. I'm not sure if it's a career low, but it might be higher than what he usually does, actually. But uh, field goal really? percentage is thirty six point five percent. Three point percentage is thirty one point five percent. Free throw percentage seventy one. And all that he is having a terrible season straight up and he of course he doesn't really play much defense he's lost a lot of his athleticism the injuries have kind of taken their toll on him sadly I, it's sad to see i i loved watching blake griffin when he was on the, the last year with the clippers because he was hailing the ball he was dishing out assists he was you know he was fun to watch very fun to watch even his first year in in um detroit was fun to watch but you know as he, the injuries have really been catching up to him and he just doesn't have that same bounce anymore. He hasn't dunked since I believe December of 2019. I believe that's the, yeah. like he is, I hate to say this, but he's kind of washed right now. That's what it seems like. And so I don't see a team taking on $36 million this year and $38 million next year because he's on a player option, but he's going to accept the player option. He's not making 36, $38 million. <laughs> from anybody else, even over the stretch of like a few years if he gets a big contract. But no, he is going to take that player option. So you're going to have to deal with $36 million tied up to one player, which is like 30% of the cap, and then also um, $38 million the next year. So it's not even an expiring deal. They, If they buy him out, that would be ridiculous because the owner would have to pay like $70 million. Uh, it, like if they really don't want him on the roster that bad, I don't know, man, Does, would any team even want him on the roster? If the Pistons don't even want him, that's kind of the, it's strange, man. It's strange. I, I'm, I'm not too confident about Blake Griffin being traded at all. Yeah. I don't see him being traded. I think his contract, um, I know we were talking about NFL, that no contracts untradeable, but you know, in different sports and, you know, Blake Griffin is playing on career lows on a, a big contract, I, I do see this as an untradeable contract because he's not producing. Um, I mean, my thing is, like, if they do do a buyout, which could be possible, I'm not saying – I'm not going to rule out completely. Like I said, the Lakers would make sense for him to go there. Um, you know, their front court can definitely use some depth. Um, you know, Montrez Harold, they have an old Marcus Saul, and then Mark Keith Morris, who averages only 15 minutes off the bench, with AD typically being hurt throughout most of the season, not most of the season, but typically being hurt most seasons. Um, you know, this is just a depth signing. That's what it all would be for the Lakers, a depth signing. So, you know, because they're not going to expect him to be the guy he was when he was a Clipper, or even when he first started out with the Pistons. They just need him just need him another body, another big body in the front court. And that's what the Lakers would use him as. Um, but that's if that's if it only if a contract buyout does happen. But like you said, you mentioned multiple times, a contract as big as his. It, I I I think Lakers is probably just get some rest. Probably gonna try to start playing him after the all-star. Uh, weekend or after trade deadline, but uh, I don't I don't see him sitting out the whole season or sitting out too much longer because it probably end up realizing like, hey, this contract's too big and no one wants to pay that much money for someone playing that poorly. So, I mean, they gotta figure it out. Whatever the, whatever the situation is, they gotta figure it out with the Pistons because 
that's a hard contract to make a good deal for. Yeah, I agree. Um, and with that, I think we should just jump to the rookie report card. So we're going to be grading each rookie so far. Uh, picks one through 14. We're just doing the lottery today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at some more rookies that are outside the lottery that have made a big impact. Uh, but for this week, we're just looking at the lottery one through 14. And we're going to be grading each player uh, from A plus to F just on how, how well they've done this season. So uh, do you want to kick it off or should I? I'll kick it off with the first pick. The first pick obviously was Anthony Edwards from Georgia. He's currently averaging 14.6 points per game, 3.7 rebounds per game, 2.4 assists per game on 38% shooting and 31% from three. So he started on the season kind of slow and he came off the bench. Uh, which was quite baffling to think that, you know, you're the first pick and you're coming off the bench on a bad team. That's the thing, on a bad team. Um, but he did because the coach is also not the best coach either, which I said it in a previous podcast. Um, but obviously with injuries and then him playing well off the bench, he did, he did you know, secure a starting part. Uh, as a starter, he had more than a double digit except for one game in his 11 starts. And he's currently averaging over 20 points in his last six games. Um, just off recency bias, you know, he's been playing really well. Um, I kind of hope for him to kind of play well because, you know, you don't draft the guy that high up and he just is a complete – well, you don't – obviously when you draft him, you kind of hope they come out and play well. Um, you know, obviously they're hoping for a bust, of course. Um, you know, and, and at one point people did call him a bust, which was – I didn't understand that either, but obviously he's kind of quieted everyone down and he's kind of playing well. So as of right now, I got to give him a solid B. A B? You're being rough with your grades. All right. I give him a solid B. I'm giving him an A. I think really this is a lot off recency bias, but just if you've kind of watched his game as the season's gone on, he's just been getting better and better and better. He's aging like fine wine right now. And he, as of when we're recording this, he like yesterday, like just dropped a, almost a 30 piece on the Lakers. So who are a very good defensive team. And he just looks so impressive. He looks so confident out there. He looked like a future potential star genuinely. And, you know, just since, you know, ever since D'Lo has, he's gone down with injuries in these past couple of games, he's really stepped it up. He's really taken, taken on that uh, secondary scoring role to Cat. Uh, and Cat actually hasn't been scoring as much He's still coming back from COVID, so that you know all that makes sense. But he's just been very, very good. He's getting more. He's getting more confident as he plays, and like it's just fun to watch him because he's always got a smile on his face whenever he does anything. I mean, he hit a three right in front of LeBron's face and just walked off smiling. Like you, like you gotta love the energy that kid like produces. Uh, I think he's been fantastic. I give him an A, TBH. Um, let's jump to James Wiseman. I'll, I'll kick off on this one. Uh, I gave James Wiseman a B plus and to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, um, I am also comparing him to every other rookie in his, in his class. So, uh, just in general, I think James Wiseman has been very, he's been pretty solid. Uh, he's actually averaging, I believe he's averaging 30, 40% from the three point line, which is pretty ridiculous. Oh, 
that my bad. I pulled the stats and a video played. Uh, so yeah, he's he got, he's averaging twelve points a game. Uh, he's fifty percent from the field, uh, and you know he's just in general he's been. Oh sorry, wait, this is whoopsie whoops. I was reading the wrong. I was reading the wrong thing. Super professional, I know. Uh, just give me a second here. I have some of the stats up. If you want me to read it off? Yeah, go ahead. You read off the stats. Yeah, so he's averaging 12.2 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, 1.3 blocks, 150% shooting, and he's shooting 41% from three. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was right on the 40% from three. So he, like I said, like he actually, you know, his potential is really shown out right now, and he's being mentored by Draymond Green. He's really, you know, I think he's going to be a very good defensive player. His defense has been okay so far, but he's a rookie. I'm not going to hold defense too hard against rookies. They're still figuring out the NBA game. His fouls per game are kind of high. He's averaging three fouls a game. But to be fair, you know, like I said, he's a rookie, still figuring everything out. I think he's going to be a very good player in this league. I think he's had a very good season uh, so far. He has dealt with injuries. He's, uh, I believe he's out for another couple of weeks. I believe they're reevaluating him in a couple of weeks from when we're recording this. Uh, I just think James Wiseman has been very, very solid. Uh, I think this is the right pick for the Warriors here, to, uh, to be honest. Uh, what about you? Oh, what was the grade you gave him again? I gave him a B plus. Okay, mine was lower. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, like you were saying, he is explosive. Uh, you know, the Warriors do see him as the big man, their big man of the future, which is, you know, still the case. But when he did get benched, it was be, he was benched be mainly due to his defense. I feel like as a big man, that's always a lot more important. Uh, we see a lot of guards kind of get away with playing lackluster defense because, quite frankly, uh, as much as I like Anthony Edwards, his defense is not the craziest or most impressive. But, you know, just to watch him play, he is, uh, you know, entertaining to watch, and he is playing um, some of his best basketball at the moment. Uh, Wiseman, I'm not going to be too hard with him with defense, but like I said, with big guys, they do think he'd be better defensively, um, you know. Due to his injury, I haven't seen him much as of late. Um, so, based off what I have seen, uh, which was quite impressive, but not the best. Um, I mean, of his class, he probably is the best big man uh, at the moment. So, I would have to give him probably a B minus so far in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. I I was a little more generous with all my ratings. You seem to be a little tougher on all the ratings. So, the balance yeah, is, we're probably somewhere in the middle. So. I'll, I'll start with Melo. <laughs> so Melo currently right now is averaging 14.6 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game, 6.1 assists per game, 1.5 steals per game, 143% shooting, and 35% shooting from three. Now, Lamelo is pretty much taking over his report. It's pretty much Lamelo report at the moment. Um, but he has fairly lived up to the hype. He has been exciting to play. I really like the combination of him and Bridges, Airbnb. I love that nickname so much. It's it's absolutely, mm-hmm. I, it's just the one. Um, a lot of flashy passes, you know, his impressive layup package. His jump shot, it doesn't look as bad as I uh, remember it. Uh, Cutter back in the day, he's shooting straight from his chest. He still looks like he kind of does, but the arc's much better. Um, his, tra- his jump shot pretty much translated decently into the NBA. Um, I don't like the fact that his father almost got him into hot water with the situation of starting. Um, you know, but I'm kind of glad he kind of took control of his own career and was pretty much his own spokesman instead of his dad. Um, but he did eventually move up to starter. 
And as a starter, he averages 20.9 points per game, 6.9 rebounds per game, and 6.3 assists per game. For me, he's kind of the clear rookie of the year at the moment. Um, but he does hope if he does hope to elevate his game, it would be to drop his turnovers per game because he does average three point three. But he's a rookie, so I'm not gonna give him too much too much on that. So I'm gonna give him an A. I am also I'm gonna give Lamelo an uh, an A plus just because I believe he's so far just been the best rookie. So I want to give him that A plus. He deserves it. I mean, like you said. Uh, I was actually not super high on LaMelo. I didn't think he would translate his game this immediately. Uh, and I was wrong on that. Uh, but now I'm rooting for LaMelo. Honestly, he, he's really changed my mind about him. Uh, just the fact that, you know, he's averaging 43% from the field, but kind of compared to the other rookies in the class, that's actually pretty high. Uh, and it's higher than I actually expected in general, because he was shooting like 30% in the NBL. Uh, but he, yeah, he, his shot and his just in everything has translated way better into the NBA than I thought it would. And like, just in general, he just makes the Hornets fun to watch. Like that's, that's, uh, that's invaluable. That's invaluable. And so I, I gave him an A plus uh, and I agree. He's so far, he's pretty clearly the rookie of the year so far. Uh, let's do Patrick Williams. So Patrick Williams is currently averaging nine points, four rebounds, and he's shooting 39% from three. Uh, I give Patrick Williams a B plus. And if you just, you know, you know, it, it's a little, it's a little surprising to hear, but just watching the games, uh, nobody really thought he would be. I want to touch on something really quick before I jump into Patrick Williams is it's very interesting to hear your perspective as well as mine. Because you have, you were not super into the scouting and drafting of all these guys. I was very, very, I was scouting this draft class very heavily. And so my preconceived notions of a player kind of lead me to grade them differently than yours because you don't have any former attachment to them. You never really scouted much of them. So Patrick Williams was kind of viewed as a very raw prospect because he came off the bench in Florida State, but he's been very, very good right off the bat. And he's, he, a lot of his skills are translated immediately to the NBA. His defense has been very, very solid uh, for a rookie. And he's very, shooting very good from three, almost 40%. That's one of the highest you know, marks in this draft class. And he still has a lot of room to improve. You know, he can uh, work on his handle a little bit and all that. But look, I mean, he was a very surprise. He was a surprising pick at four, but I think it was, I think it was a solid pick. I mean, Patrick Williams has been playing very well. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from him at all. And even though his stats don't look the best, I do think his on-court impact is higher than what the stats are saying. So I give Patrick Williams a B plus. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to be too hard on him. He's been a fairly decent to average starter in the NBA. But, you know, as a person who – which was one fact that we do know, as a person who never started over when he was a Seminole in Florida State, you know, the fact that he can come out and start at the NBA pretty much and play as well as he's been playing. It's, it is quite impressive. Um, I was looking into his offensive and defensive ratings. Um, you know, that was also impressive to see. Um, he's been playing pretty well. I know in the month of February, I think his points per game, offensive rating, defensive rating, and rebounds have all, have all jumped up. Um, so he's just improving um, how I see it. Uh, so, 
you know, like you said, he's a project player. Uh, I heard about that a lot going into the draft as a project player. Him being taken to fourth, it was, it's it seemed like a big reach, but I feel like at the moment it's, it's currently working out for them. And like I said, he is he has numbers have improved in this month of February. So on that note, I'd probably have to give him probably his B minus a B minus right now. All right, let's jump to Isaac Okoro, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I'll I'll start for this one. Um, so the stats he had: seven point five points per game, two point four rebounds per game, one point nine assists per game, thirty percent field goal shooting, and twenty five percent from three. Um, if you thought that Williams to the Chicago was a reach, I felt like this one was a much bigger reach. Um, as a Cavalier, he has not really improved, or has not really impressed, I should say. Um, he has a negative uh, plus minus at negative 8.1 and his and the thing that makes me most concerned is he's averaging the stats he has in 33 minutes um his numbers have declined over the past few months uh january he averaged i think 35 minutes and now in february he's averaging just under 29 uh his, his defensive rating also dropped in the month of february as well i mean the Cavs have been struggling in the past few games and it seems like coral is just struggling with them as well um, you know, I, I'm not going to say he's I'm not going to say, you know, the B word, he's not a bust. Um, but it, it's, it's concerning, um, this low production. I know he mainly came in as a defensive player, but you do want to see him improve on the offensive side. Uh, so at the moment, unfortunately, I got to give him a B. Dang, I'm, I'm cutting Isaac Coral a little bit of a break. I'm giving him a C plus and that's because, First off, his defense has been the best so far that I've seen on the Cavs team, at least perimeter defense. Uh, and offensively, he's obviously really disappointed. He, you know, he's shooting 38% from the field and 25% from three. That was always kind of a big issue with Isaac Coro was, you know, is he ever going to develop the shot? I don't want to knock him too much for it. I, I do think his defense makes up for some of his offense. But for sure, if, if he's going to, you know, get any better as a player he's going to need to improve that three-point shot and I believe in Isaac Coro I think he can do it I think he has the drive and the talent to do it uh, and so I do hope he 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 does improve I don't think Isaac Coro was a horrible pick here uh, I do think the Cavs could have done a little bit better but Okoro is still a very solid player and his you know, his potential is still very high in my opinion in my opinion I kind of viewed him as this guy if he kind of gets his shot right could end up kind of being maybe the Jimmy Butler of this draft. That, that was kind of what I was uh, impressing upon Isaac Okoro. And he did play a very, very good preseason. So if he can kind of take, you know, if he can kind of take that preseason and he can become that player in the regular season and the playoffs, you know, even if, you know, when the, when the Cavs eventually will get back to the playoffs, hopefully we'll get back to the playoffs. Uh, I, I think he could be very good. So I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack. Uh, Andre Drummond's been ball hogging on offense uh, so, uh, C plus Isaac Okoro. Let's move on to Onyeka Okongwu. So this is, he's very hard to grade. Very, very hard to grade. Uh, he hasn't played much this year. He's, I think he's only played about 11 games or so. Uh, but he did start at one point. Uh, I believe Clint Capello was injured and he did start at one point and he looked pretty decent. Uh, I'm going to give him a C plus as well. Uh, it, it's, it seems a little unfair to grade him when he's 
when he's been out for so long, but, you know, he still has put up enough. Uh, he's played enough to kind of get a little bit of a view of him. He does play, he does play very solid defense. Uh, his offense is the problem. He's averaging three points, three rebounds and 0.7 blocks in 10 minutes uh, per 36. Obviously those numbers look incredible, uh, but you know, like I said, he's, he, his offense needs to improve, but his defense, I I've been impressed by it. Genuinely. Uh, I, he, he looks like an NBA defender. He can definitely defend small ball fives. He's mobile enough for it. And he's long and strong enough to guard uh, normal centers in the NBA as well, tall centers. So, you know, I think as, you know, as, as the season kind of comes to a close and maybe uh, as next season comes to a close, we'll start to really see what he uh, is made of uh, in terms of defense. Yeah, with him, it was kind of hard. Uh, he only played a couple of games due to his, I think it was Achilles injury he had, which, you know, that's nothing you really want to mess with. So I understand why he hasn't played too much. Uh, you know, I haven't been the most impressed with his offensive game. Um, like you said, he's only averaging around three points. But he is, you know, averaging three points, only 52% shooting, which is, I guess, good. Um, but, you know, I just need – more. I feel like we're seeing like a sample size. I just need to see them a little bit more. So I didn't want to be mean with this break. I just gave him the bare average. Just give him a C. Yeah. Uh, let's jump to Killian Hayes, who was drafted by the Pistons. Uh, Ooh, let me start this one. <laughs> uh, are you, you want to start it? Yeah. I know you had a lot to say about him coming into the draft, uh, but I just want to get my piece before you yeah, go start yours. So he averaged 4.6 points per game, 1.1 rebounds per game, 3.6 assists per game, on 28% shooting and 20 35% shooting from three. 25 from three. 25, excuse me. I don't know why that switched up. 25% on three in 21 minutes. Uh, when he was healthy, he, in my opinion, he contributed to this, their losses as he was very inefficient on both offense and defense. Um, he had very questionable shot selection. Uh, to say the least, honestly, and uh, one of the game when he did play, one of the games they did win, um, he scored zero points and had the plus minus of negative two. But to his credit, he did have six assists in that game. Um, um, you know, among all rookies, he still holds the second worst plus minus, just right behind Okoro. So, for me, I'm not impressed. I <laughs> I gave up my first F. You got an F. I feel bad. <laughs> I okay. Anyone who had talked to me prior to the draft knew that I was seriously, I was down on Killian Hayes. I think I even mentioned it to you. I was like, I really hope uh, somebody drinks the Kool Aid on him and takes him before the Wizards because I do not <laughs> want the Wizards to take this guy. Uh, I just I feel bad because he's been vaulted into this lottery status when, in my opinion, he was kind of a you know a late first round pick kind of a talent. Um, let me explain why. So you go in over his stats, obviously four, I mean like four points, three assists. He's averaging two turnovers as well. So his three assists are, it's kind of mitigated anyways. Uh, like you said, shooting 27% from the field and 25% from three. And he's playing 21 minutes a game. He's not, you know, he's not out here with like a, a bench, you know, maybe like eight minutes a game. He's playing 21 minutes a game. He started a lot of games. He just has not been impressive in the slightest. And let me kind of explain why. So for the people that were really high on Killian Hayes, uh, 
they kind of pointed to a couple highlights of him, you know, doing a step back three or they point to his field or free throw percentage and be like, he's going to be able to get a shot in the NBA. I do believe eventually he will kind of get his shot right. My problem with Killian Hayes is that, you know, when you watch, when you draft, when you scout a player, you have to watch their low lights as well as their highlights. You can't just see the highlights. If you just watch the highlights of Killian Hayes, man, he looks like the next James Harden. I can, yeah, that's what he looks like. He's like, he's a lefty. He can step back. That's what he looks like. But when you really delve deep into what his offense revolves around, it's a lot of pick and roll. It's so much pick and roll. Killian Hayes is not fast enough to blow by anybody. And he's also not strong enough to bully people into the paint. And he's also not crafty enough to really create a lot of separation with his handles. He really doesn't even have a right hand right now. So he's very, very raw. He's a very raw prospect. And people were saying that he was NBA ready. I, I was hearing that from a couple of people. I know Kevin O'Connor at the ringer was absolutely to the moon on this guy. He was, he was the one pushing the, he's the next James Harden kind of a thing. I just think it's very unfair to give him, uh, I, I, you know, like I said, he, he can't score from, you know, driving or crossing anybody up or any of that. He, he can't score that way. So the only way he really gets separation is with his step back and with a pick and roll. And, you know, let's be real. They're not going to, they're not going to run you pick and rolls 24 seven in the NBA. You know, he's, unless he is like the, the star and he's not, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't been playing the best. He's not even the best player on his team right now. So they're not, you know, they're not going to run a crazy amount of pick and rolls for him that his defense hasn't been great. Um, but that was expected. He's not expected to be a great defender and he's a rookie. So I'm giving him a little bit of a pass on that. The only thing he's done particularly well, in my opinion, is play make. But even then, I mean, his turnovers are almost one-to-one with his assists. So it's he's still not effective in that sense. So he he's injured right now. And I'm going to be very curious to see how he comes back from injury and just how he comes next year into the league. Because at, I believe I compared him to a Frank Natilikina, but with less defense and more offense. I believe that's what I compared um, Killian Hayes to. And I kind of still stick by that. He has not been impressive. He's really not been impressive to me. I do not see a star level point guard as maybe the Pistons did. Uh, he's a good dude and I know he's going to work hard. He has a good work ethic. So I hope he can bounce back from this. I will never take, um, I would never wish somebody to be bad just for me to be right. So I hope I am rooting for him and I hope he gets better, but drafting him at seven overall, I feel like was a big mistake for the Pistons, especially when uh, Obi Toppin was on the board, Ty- Tyrese Halliburton was on the board, Denny Avdia was on the board. You know, I just, I do not agree with this for the Pistons. Uh, I feel bad that he has gotten such a high bar set for him. I don't, I don't think it's fair for him, but I do hope the best for him. And I, I give him a D minus. I give him a D minus only because uh, I saw one game where he looked pretty decent. He kind of had a little bit of a flash of potential and that was against the Wizards, but let's be real. Everybody looks like a superstar against the Wizards. So even that comes with a catalyst. Everything good to say about Killian Hayes comes with a catalyst to say he's not that not doing that great. Um, yeah, so that that's my opinion on Killian Hayes. Let's jump to Obi Toppin. You know what, you can kick off this one. 
so Obi Toppin's currently averaging 4.9 points per game, 2.4 rebounds per game, 0.5 assists per game, 0.48% shooting from the field goal, uh, field goal percentage, and he has 30 per, 30% from three. Um, with injuries and the virgins, uh, Julius Randle, I feel like he's kind of got stuck in the doghouse in the Knicks to a certain extent. I mean, his athleticism is impressive as he's a very good dunker. Uh, and, you know, for 12 minutes, he does, you know, do what he can. Um, but I feel like offensively, he could, you know, do a little bit more. He does only average around like 4.2 shots per game. So I feel like he can try to shoot a little bit more to get a shot going. Because um, he does have a decent mid-range jumper. Not the most special jumper from three. He can always improve on that. Anyone, everyone can improve on three-point shooting. Uh, defense, he can still use a little bit as he took a dip. Uh, his defensive rating took a dip from January to February. Um, but you know, he's, you know, he's fairly young and, you know, like I said, he's in the doghouse. So, you know, if he can emerge from the doghouse, I could expect him to, you know, I do expect him to improve in numbers and I do expect him to do more if he's given more minutes. So on that note, just based off what I've seen, you know, I'd probably give him like a C, C plus at the moment i also gave him a c plus uh i like you said i agree with everything you said he's kind of stuck in the doghouse right now he's not you know julius randall's playing so well that they're you know they're kind of tom thibodeau's going to him more uh you know obi Toppin was supposed to be one of the most nba ready prospects right out the gate and he's kind of not really playing like it uh, i know he has been dealing with injuries he's been injured uh he was injured before the season i believe and then he got injured again uh, but, you know, I still expect good things from Obi Toppin. I, I think he's going to end up being good. Uh, he just needs some more time and more minutes to actually prepare and actually uh, get some time to develop, you know. Uh, so I, I think Obi Toppin will be good. But for right now, I got to give him a C plus. I agree. Right. Ninth overall, Denny Avdia to the Washington Wizards. Uh, I can kick off this one. So Denny is averaging about 6.8 points. 4.9 rebounds and 1.6 assists. He's shooting 42% from the field and 35% from three. But he's also shooting 57% from the free throw line, which is a bit concerning. Uh, but look, he, he averages about 22 minutes a game for the Wizards. Uh, he genuinely is one of the best defenders on the Wizards, one of the only defenders really on the Wizards. Uh, and he's, you know, I feel like Scott Brooks just really hasn't been using him right. I've, I've said this in the past. I had a big Scott Brooks rant uh, back, I believe, in like the second podcast. I had a big Scott. I had a big rant about how he, he wasn't using a lot of his players right, especially Denny. And I still I still hold to that. He's they're kind of forcing Denny to just be a three and D spot up shooter kind of a guy when that's not that's not the best parts of his game. The best parts of his game is, you know, letting him handle the ball a little bit and make some plays. And when he has gotten to handle the ball, he's looked very impressive. He drove to the rim. He gets dunks. Uh, when he gets to handle the ball, he gets uh, some really good assists. Uh, he whips around, you know, he whips the ball around. He never really keeps it stuck on him. He's not a ball hog. Uh, he's just, he's, he's a very solid player. He's a very high IQ player, in my opinion. He doesn't make many mistakes. Uh, for all that, I'm going to give him a B. I'm going to give him a B. I, I think that, you know, he still is, he still has one of the highest ceilings in this draft. 
and he could be very, very good. But, you know, so far what's impressed me the most is his defense and his three-point shooting because people did say that, you know, he might not be able to shoot at the NBA level, and he's been proving them wrong so far. He's been shooting very good. Uh, so, yeah, I give Danny Avdi a B. Yeah, mine was not as lenient, but uh, I did have context with it, uh, this one more so. Uh, I feel like his poor start was due – is kind of the product of poor coaching. And uh, like you were saying, pretty much he has not that Scott Brooks has not played to his strengths and he consistently misuses him. Um, you know, I feel like the poor handling of Omdia has caused him to lose confidence in his shot and ability at times. Um, there's been too many games or too many moments in the game where I've seen Omdia take an open shot and miss and then just drop his head down immediately. He seems like he just loses a lot of confidence or he just seems very like concerned with something. Um, you know, he is a good passer but they have not really given him the chance to show off that ability too many times. Um, you know, he, I mean, he got even got benched as a recent for the wizards. Um, but I can't really say that's his fault. You know, I do see glimpses of promise. Like you were saying, um, when he dropped the 20 points against the heat earlier this season, I, I saw that this guy can could potentially do something if given the right situation. Uh, for me, I really don't, I mean, I hope him the best, of course, but I don't see him really improving at the moment until they get a new coach and knows how to let him. That learns to play to his strengths. You know, I feel like until that can happen, we'll probably see Obvia not in the doghouse, but like he'll definitely have to work really hard in the next few weeks. So for me, I just feel like at the moment he's a C, but it's not like because of him, it's more so because of the coaching. Yeah, and I'm not surprised his confidence is a little bit wavering. You know, in Scott Brooks' system, it's just so difficult to know what earns you minutes. You know, a lot of times, a lot of players have played really good, and then they've been benched, like, for a few more nights and then brought back in for, like, randomly. It it almost feels like he's kind of randomly selecting these lineups. But, you know, I I do believe that's kind of affecting his confidence. But I did see him after uh, one of the games, I believe it was a couple games ago, where he didn't shoot particularly well, he stayed in at the gym for like another hour, just, just shooting threes for an hour. And, you know, I think that kind of work ethic and that kind of determination in general will help him even with, you know, the inconsistent minutes, inconsistent opportunities for him. And I think he'll end up being a really good player in my opinion. Uh, But we'll have to see on that. I'm also a little bit biased because I'm a Wizards fan, but you know, I, I just going by the numbers and going by his impact, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, and I, I hope to see more from him later on. Uh, 10, there's, I, okay. The Phoenix Suns selected Jalen Smith with a 10th overall pick. I didn't give him a grade at all. I, I just felt like I couldn't. He's only played eight games and only played six minutes in each of those games. There's not really a role for him on the, on the Suns right now. He doesn't really have a place. They, they even sent him, they sent him to the G League recently as well. So we'll have to mm-hmm. kind of wait and see what he does there to kind of gauge his potential for the NBA. I do think he has some solid potential. Um, I, I do, it's not a big enough sample size for me to even grade. So I didn't even, I just gave him a NA, you know, I cannot grade this guy. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, same for me. From him getting COVID to getting, just being on the bench, so it's like far down on the bench as possible and playing only around six minutes per game. It was, it was really hard for me to really think of anything. Initially, I was going to grade him low, but I felt like it's kind of unfair uh, in this situation. Uh, 
and especially with him going to the G League, I just kind of hope he regains his ability and most importantly his confidence. So I got to say, I'd probably agree with you if he's not giving him a grade at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's jump to Devin Vassell. You can start off this one. So Devin Vassell is averaging 5.5 points per game, 3.2 rebounds per game, 1.1 assists uh, per game. He's shooting 40%, and he's shooting 40% from three. So when he came to the Spurs, I kind of never expected him to take on like a big role, like a starting role or anything like that, and he hasn't, which is not a bad thing either. As a role player, he provides solid defense for the Spurs, and he averages actually 1.1 uh, steals per game. Um, in the game, one game he did start, he did seem a bit off his game. He shot like 28% from, um, from the field and 33 from three. Uh, and he also, I think, in the game, he had like a negative 14 plus minus. So, you know, I don't think he's ready for to make that jump at, to be a starter just yet. But as a role player, I see him being kind of like another, another, something we probably see from the Spurs a lot. They have, a, they do very well getting role players and having role players on their team. Um, so, you know, due to that fact alone, I think. I'd have to give him around a C, C plus or so, because I mean, as a lottery pick, you don't want to come in straight as a um, role player. I mean, yes, I did not see him as a starter, but like, and when you think of lottery picks, you don't think of, oh, I'm gonna get drafted to become a role player. So just on that fact, I did give him a C, but he's been playing quite well. Yeah, I gave him a I gave him a B minus, uh, but you know it was really hard. It was it was really hard to be you know either a C plus or a B minus. It was hard to decide, but I I gave him a B minus just because his defense has been very solid. Uh, he's a very good help defender, uh, and the Spurs you know they are they are pretty good with him uh, on the floor, but they're not you know he's not making the biggest impact. I, I'll probably drop my grade to a C plus. Uh, what's funny is that his field goal percentage and his three-point percentage are actually exactly the same. So if you didn't really know any better, you would have thought he only shoots threes. <laughs> and <laughs> for the most part, he kind of does. He, he sticks to three-point shots more than he does two-point shots. He attempts uh, 2.4 threes and 2.3 twos. So he actually is shooting a three a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, Devin Vassell, he's been solid defensively. That's why I kind of that's that's the thing that's kind of bumping me up, bumping him up to a C plus for me. Uh, his offense has been a little inconsistent uh, in terms of driving or cutting and all that. I think he could do a little bit more of that. Uh, his three point shooting's been it's been pretty good. I mean, thirty uh, just about forty percent. Um, I have no issues there. Uh, but like like he's shooting, he's also shooting forty percent on two pointers, which is not great. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the other rookies in this class are also kind of doing the similar things. So I can't hate on him too much. Uh, solid, solid pick. But, you know, they kind of missed out on somebody a little bit better who we're going to bring up like right now. Just Tyrese <laughs> Halliburton uh, for the Kings. Uh, what do you think of him? He's drafted 12th overall. What do you think of him? So what I know about him right now, his stats right now are 12.4 points per game. 3.6 rebounds per game, 5.2 assists per game, 1.2 steals per game. He's shooting nearly 50% from the field, and he's shooting 44% from three. Um, for me, this was like one of the most unexpected developments early in the season. Um, 
you know, Hal Burton kind of put the NBA on notice as one of the brighter stars in this class. Um, you know, even though he's coming off the bench, he is one of the bright spots of the Kings of the moment. Um, he won rookie of the month, I think, in January uh, for the West. Just like LaMelo, I kind of felt like Hal Burton had an uh, unconventional jump shot, but it obviously 44% from three, nearly 50% shooting from the field. I mean, it seems like he definitely has found his stride in the game. Um, for me, as good as Edwards was playing, I feel like Hal Burton, in my opinion, is second uh, in rookie of the year race right now. Um, I just feel like as a player, he is a bit more complete than Edwards. Um, I feel like he is almost as complete as LaMelo. He does turn over the ball less than LaMelo, which is one of his brighter spots. Um, but he's still currently hooking off the bench, so it's kind of hard to say compared to LaMelo, who's starting now. But, you know, Halliburton, uh, I, I, was, I was happy to see him start, you know, balling out the way he is. Um, so, you know, I got to give him A-. minus. I give him an A minus. He's been playing very well. You know what? Uh, he's lived up exactly to the expectations I had for him. I always thought that he was going to be like a very good sixth man type player, maybe in the in the essence of like a Lou Williams, but he can do it all kind of a player. Uh, and that's exactly what he's been. I'm giving him an A. I think he's been fantastic this season so far. He's arguably arguably been playing better than Buddy Heald. Like people are, there's a genuine uh, decision that the Kings have to make with, you know, do we just roll with Tyrese Halliburton? Should we just start him and go with it? I see him more as a six-man type player, like I said, uh, but I wouldn't mind him starting at all. I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams wouldn't mind Lou Williams starting for them either. So, you know, I I think he's he's just a very, he's going to have a really good long career in my opinion. And he's also playing good defense as as a rookie, which is very impressive. So, you know, it's nice to see. It's I, I really like to see uh, – I, I like seeing a guy who was projected higher drop and then just kind of prove everybody wrong. Like, yeah, y'all should have taken me at seven, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, let's jump Let's jump to Kira Lewis Jr. Uh, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with him? So he's currently averaging 5.5 points per game, 0.9 rebounds per game. 1.8 assists per game on 40% shooting from the field and 30%, 38% shooting from three. Um, he's having, he's, has been having a pretty pedestrian rookie season so far. Um, for 13 minutes per game, though, I mean, he has been doing uh, what he can with the minutes he's been given. He does have a, uh, a positive net rating uh, work. And he uh, also has a positive plus minus of one. So, you know, he's been doing solid for the Pelicans. Um, I think in the month of February, he's actually been averaging 17 minutes per game. And within those 17 minutes, he's been averaging 6.6 points per game, 1.2 rebounds per game, 2.2 assists, one steal on 43% shooting. So it's better than his current season averages. So there is some upside to him. Um, But, you know, I haven't been the most impressed so far, but, you know, it's still early in the season, and he's still a rookie. So for me, I'd probably have to just give him like a C minus. Yeah, I gave him a C, and that's kind of because I feel like he hasn't gotten as much of an opportunity as he should have. Uh, I know the Pelicans are really – they really, really like him uh, to the point where they're considering trading Lonzo Ball because they just really like how him and Nikhil Alexander-Walker are performing for them. But he's he has so much uh, – 
he has so many people to compete with just to get minutes. I mean, there's what, like Josh Hart, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Alonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, J.J. Redick, you know. Kira Lewis Jr., he has a lot of competition to actually get minutes. And in the minutes he's gotten, he's been pretty, he's been pretty decent. Uh, I'd like to see him take on more of a little bit of a six-man role. I don't think he's ready to start. I think he could be a very good six-man for this team. Uh, and I know the Pelicans are looking to kind of trade J.J. and Lonzo Ball as well. So that would definitely free up minutes for him. Uh, I believe Eric Bledsoe's deal is expiring this year, this year or next. So that will also open up even more minutes for him. And I think eventually he will become a very good player. But for right now, uh, just so far based off the production, I'm going to give him a C. Yeah. Uh, finally, Aaron Naismith with the 14th overall pick went to the Boston Celtics. He is averaging 3.5 points per game. He's shooting 31% from the field and 30% from three. I, I love Naismith going in, but, you know, I cringed when I saw the Celtics pick him because I knew he wasn't going to get minutes like that right off the bat. And that's exactly what happened. He didn't get many minutes. He kind of needs to develop. There's a lot of stuff in his game that he needs to develop. He's, he's, he's a, he's a good shooter. He's a good shooter and he's obviously adjusting to the NBA three point line. So his three point shooting is a little bit low right now, but I think he still has a lot of potential and I'm, he's still my guy. So I'm still sticking with him. Uh, but I gave him a D plus so far for this season. <laughs> um, so from draft night, I think we were talking about it a while back and you were talking to me and telling me how, you know, when he went to the Celtics, it wasn't a good fit. And, you know, the more I kind of looked into it later that night, uh, I kind of realized that this was probably one of the worst picks that the, the one of the worst picks for the Celtics, and I felt like this was not the ideal place for Naismith either. Um, you know, as much as the Celtics do need a shooter and someone who can play defense as the guard position, you know, Naismith was definitely not their guy. Um, kind of like you, I kind of felt like he would have been a better fit for like a team like the Wizards or another team like the Trailblazers. I thought that would have been a really good fit for Naismith. Um, I was reading an article actually uh, by this uh, by a reporter named. Trevor Marks titled NBA uh, Draft 2020 Best Slash Worst Fits for This Year's Consensus Lottery Picks. And he said the worst place for Naismith to go was the Celtics. And I couldn't agree more with him. Uh, Marks noted that, you know, he couldn't really add much to the shallow bench unit that the Celtics really have. And, you know, he's really predominantly a catch and shoot kind of guy, more so than a pick and roll kind of guy, you know, where he roll off and then shoot the three. Um, so that's why I see like a guy like Peyton Richard getting more minutes than Naismith because he's more fitting to what the Celtics are looking for more so than Naismith. And I felt like Naismith kind of got dealt the wrong hand. I felt like he should have been drafted by a team that would know how to use him properly. Um, this is like kind of goes into Danny Ainge making weird picks instead of trading away assets. I felt like he could have definitely traded away the 14th pick to another team or something like that for a player of some sort. Um, this kind of selections with the 14th pick in the draft, it's, it's mind-numbing at times. Um, so unfortunately, not because it's, you know, Naismith's fault, but just the situ- situation he's in and the performance he's done within that situation, I unfortunately had to give him a D minus. Yeah, so those are all the rookies we got. Um, 
I believe I said this to you like before the draft, like if I was a rookie, I think the number one place I wouldn't want to end up is Boston. And this is no slight to the Celtics. It's just that they have so many other rookies or as well as like just young guys competing for their bench in general that like, you're not going to get many minutes. You're not going to develop much there. You know, they're also an organization that could drop you at a moment's notice. You might even waste a couple of years there just doing nothing on the bench. Uh, it's definitely Celtics are definitely one of the worst places to end up if you're not a, I'm ready for the NBA right now kind of a player like Peyton Pritchard is. Um, yeah, if you're definitely, if you're a developmental kind of project kind of a player, you know, it's Celtics aren't a great place to end up. Uh, yeah. And it sucks that they had so many picks that they didn't even <laughs> try to trade. Well, they, they did trade, uh, I believe, the 30th pick or so. Uh, but everything else, they, you know, they probably should have traded this lottery pick. I'm not sure exactly who would have wanted to move up, but, you know, if they probably would have been better off trading this for maybe a future, a future pick that they could package together with something else and make a deal. Yeah, uh, it's bad because they had a, I think they had a rookie, uh, I think Romeo Langford, I think last year in his rookie season, he said he forgot he was even a rookie. So that's how little minutes and how little playing time some of these guys get. And I just feel like, you know, that is kind of worrisome if these players look to look to develop their game. Um, Boston is definitely not a developmental kind of team. And Mike, you know, some of my follow on Brad Stevens' shoulders a little bit, but um, yeah, as good as the coach he is, I feel like there is talent with the Celtics, so he could do a bit more with the young talent, in my opinion. I do believe they have a, they have a, a good amount of young talent uh, for sure, and you know, I wouldn't really blame Brad Stevens for it. You know, Brad Stevens is trying to win now, so he doesn't really have a need for rookies that can't immediately produce. So I don't really blame him for it. Uh, Danny Ainge just needs to, you know, he needs more veterans on that Celtics team. Let's be real. Uh, yeah. But right before we finish off, before we wrap up the show, I do want to talk about the G League. Uh, have you caught Have you caught any uh, G League Ignite games? I've watched some G League games in general. I've caught only uh, a handful of uh, Ignite games. I think I watched the first one where Jared Jack went off, and I was quite impressed to see, but – I've I've watched a couple others, but not too too many. Mm-hmm. The G League's been exciting this year, man. They had to combine some teams because they wanted uh, as a little amount of travel as possible for like COVID and stuff. So you know they've combined a few teams, and the G League Ignite are very. You know, they've had some. They have some prospects on there for the next draft, which look very good. Uh, Jonathan Kuminga has been very impressive with his defense. Uh, his his offense is still a little bit shaky. But he, I mean, he is scoring like 18 points a game, I believe, in the G League, uh, even though he's only shooting 40, 40% from the field. Uh, and he's actually shooting 18% from three, which is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, but his defense is very good, and his free throw percentage looks good. So, you know, free throws are usually an indicator of who can maybe develop a, a three-point shot in the future. So, you know, he's going to be more, a little bit more of a project, but he has, he has some, a couple NBA-ready um, tools right now including his rebounding. He's, he's, he's averaging 7.6 rebounds a game. That's very, very good for his position. Uh, he's impressed me a lot. And also Jalen Green has been very impressive to me. I, I wasn't actually super high on Jalen Green. I wasn't like as high as everybody else was. But then I watched some Ignite games, and he really – he genuinely impressed me. I mean, he's, shooting five, he's shooting 50% from the field right now, uh, scoring 17 points a game. His turnovers are a bit of an issue. He has he's averaging like three turnovers a game or so, uh, but that can be fixed. His three-point percentage is thirty percent, which is better than Kuminga, but still definitely needs to be improved. 
But what I love most about the G League and seeing like young players go there instead of college is that for one, they're playing with actual ex NBA players or people that are trying to make it to the NBA. So they're playing with, with bigger dudes who are stronger and all that. They're shooting from the actual NBA three point line. They're shooting from that line. So they're getting used to a three point range immediately, like an NBA three point range immediately. And also, uh, they're learning to travel and kind of, you know, they're, it's the most, um, I think it's the best option if you really want to prepare for the NBA uh, and you can't make it to like uh, a really good developing, a developmental school, like maybe like Kentucky who develops their players really well. If you can't really make it to one of those, I think going to the G League is a very good option. I mean, I really enjoy watching these guys in the G League. It, it, it's honestly a little bit easier to scout them uh, from the G League than it is from college. So uh, the G League is fun. If, if you haven't seen a game this year, catch a game. The, they're on usually uh, uh, at weird times because they, they don't want to compete with the NBA. But, you know, yeah, it's usually like in the afternoon and stuff like that, yeah. If you're ever bored in the afternoon, so you don't got anything to do, switch a G League game on. They're really fun to watch. Yeah, I actually had a chance to watch uh, the Santa Cruz Warriors play a couple of times uh, this this season, and uh, I was quite impressed to see Jerry Lynn still, ha- you know, still has a shot going, and uh, Nico Menon was probably playing pretty well. And it's nice to see a lot of these rookies you know, that don't get a chance uh, playing in the NBA because you know certain rosters are on and stuff like that. It's nice to get a chance to watch them play in the D League, such like Nico Manning or someone else. Um, so you know, I've been quite impressed with what I've seen in the G League. But um, yeah, I was when I was watching Green. Green's you know he's a really good shooter and he's been shooting very well. But you know as a guard, I kind of do hope for him to kind of improve his passing because he's only averaging like two point four assists per game. And you know with the the three turnovers, he's actually averaging more turnovers than assists. So you know if I if he does want to be, I mean he's going to be he's already projected like what a projected top ten pick pick going into the draft. So if he can improve his passing he could probably see himself actually jump up in projections um you know and Kaminga I, I like what he's doing but I feel like at times he does shoot too much he's averaging 16 field goals per game and 5.4 threes per game so I I kind of hope he does improve on that a little bit but you know I've been fairly impressed because these dudes because like you were saying it's like they're not even getting that little like they're not even playing with college players they're playing with people who made it in the NBA or try to make it in the NBA. So it's much more competitive than going to, you know, a college um, or going, going to college uh, to play basketball. So I've been quite impressed with them. Uh, you know, I think they lost, I think their first game a couple days ago, if not yesterday, if I recall correctly. It was a couple uh, days. It, yeah, it was a bit rough. I think Jalen Green, had a, he, he played very rough and Kamingo played quite rough as well. But they're young players, you know. There's so much potential on that team, you know. It's nice to have they have like a veteran presence such as Jarrett Jack. I think Amir Johnson's also on the Ignite team. Yeah, so there's like people who can guide them. Um, but those two do need a bit more discipline if they do plan to go high in the draft. Um, you know, just like work on certain things. Like I was saying like passing and working on ball handling and shot selection and stuff like that. But, you know, with young players like these guys, it's just impressive to see them play, just just impressive to see them play this well amongst NBA talent. So, you know, I think Ignite was a great experiment. I hope they do this another season. 
I hope this is kind of a more, you know, a regular thing. And, you know, honestly, I kind of hope that the G League can get back into um, its full form after, or, well, not after, but within this whole COVID situation, this whole pandemic situation, I can, I kind of hope that they can have more teams instead of combining teams. Because the G League, you know, it feels kind of, this is kind of the most love I've seen the G League get in a long time. So, you know, I kind of hope that they use this more to develop players. So I, I'm, I'm all for the G League, and I'm, I'm really enjoying what I've seen so far from it, to be honest. And what's awesome is that these young guys are getting paid. You know, a lot of these guys come from low-income situations where, you know, they can't, you know, afford to just sit in college for a couple of years and not get any money coming in. They need to make money for their families now. Some of these, some of these kids are even like, you know, started young families and they need money for their families. So jumping to the G League is a fantastic choice. I hope, I hope more prospects do it, to be honest. And also, you know, you can get those certain NBA guys who would kind of mentor you. Like Jared Jack is probably a, a fantastic mentor to Jalen Green and to Jonathan Kuminga. I mean, I think it, it's invaluable, like what you can learn from an ex-NBA player, uh, even just from people that are trying to make it to the NBA. It's, it's, it's very invaluable what you can learn from them and how to make it in the league. So, you know, genuinely, I do, I do really hope that the G League continues to go down this path where they continue to uh, search for uh, young prospects who need some money and, you know, they don't really care about going to college. They want to make it to the NBA, so snatch them up on a deal or something. Uh, I think it would be fantastic for the G League and for the NBA and for scouting in general. Uh, but yeah, so on that note, Thank you for tuning in to the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. Uh, once again, if you're inter interested in type, this type of sports content or discussion or any of that, uh, please subscribe to us. Consider liking and sharing us to uh, your friends. It helps us grow. And yeah, with that, I've been Bert. Trey, as usual. And we will catch you guys next time, next week on the Speak Truth Sports Podcast.